The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody. This is Joni Siegel, and this is the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, and I am joined by my co-host. Jason Good. I get to say my name now. You yes, let me ex- say it now. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's and- kind of why I changed how I how I introduce things, and uh Jason wasn't with me last week, so I'm glad you're back. I'm glad today. I'm back too. Things are things do get busy working in drug rehab. It's kind of like one of those uh, professions when the most random things will like come, will like, kind of hit you that you have to handle that. And it's very very interesting because I think every industry has its own level of like randomness that's involved with their job, and so mine definitely has its share of it too. And uh, sometimes it's hard to peel away from a center when it's like, sometimes I, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm saying, I'm like, God, who's supposed to be running this place? I'm like, oh, it's us. It's I'm part of that. It's like, I'm, it's like I need an adult. It's, that's how I feel. And it's like, you know, it, it's really, really busy. But the good news is that the more people we get in, the more people that call and the more people that show interest in changing their lives, the better, because that's how I personally feel like I'm affecting some sort of change. Exactly. With the drug crisis. And, you know, I, I did a, a tour recently um, with a with a woman that had never known about Narcanon. She comes from uh, West Virginia, which is one of like, the states that was like, super oppressed by yes. uh, the drug crisis. Yes. And when she came in, we're touring around. I'm telling her, you know, what Narcanon's philosophy is versus, you know, other philosophies. Her jaw was kind of on the floor. Like, I didn't even know this was a thing. And so it was very, very cool to, uh, to show her around, let her know how and why we do what we do. And it's pretty wild because it's kind of like you don't know until you know, and like you didn't know that you didn't know until you found out. And, uh, you know, that was how I was with Narcanon because when I was trying to get sober in 12 step, I didn't know that I didn't know there was something else out there other than the 12 step world around you. Because when you first go into it and you're shown, this is how you get sober. You don't realize that there's something else. You just say, well, okay, this is the way to get sober. And if I uh, fail at it, I'm just not going to get sober. Yep. Um, and so she had a similar experience where she didn't realize there was something like this out there. Exactly. Well, when I say you're not here, I always say it's because you're busy helping people get clean and sober. Yes. It's not like you're busy bowling. It's not like you're busy knitting. You are helping people get clean and sober, and that's your job. But listen, we have a great interview today. This guy's another rock star. Yes. His name is Brandon Jordan, and I will give a little bit of a bio, but let me talk about Brandon and let's talk to him because I think you'll have a good story. Okay. So today we're going to be interviewing Brandon Jordan. Brandon is the regional director in Los Angeles for Rock to Recovery. You may remember that we spoke to Wes Gear, who is one of the founders of Rock to Recovery. So today we're going to talk to Brandon. Brandon Jordan has been a professional musician all of his adult life. He founded the infamous punk band Kill Radio in 2002 and toured the world with bands like Green Day, My Chemical Romance, and Rise Against until his drug addiction made performing impossible. He got treatment with the support of Music Cares in 2007 and has been sober for more than a decade. Now Brandon brings the power of music to those in need through Rock to Recovery. He works nationally with the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program and in the Los Angeles area with veterans at-risk teens and individuals in treatment for addiction or mental illness. He has written more than 3,500 songs with those in the Rock to Recovery program. Currently, Brandon conducts 22 sessions a week, serving approximately 250 people. He also engages in solo music projects and plays with the Rock to Recovery band Sacred Sons. Brandon, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate having you with us and having you tell your story. Thank you. So how did your journey with drug addiction, how did it get started? Um, specifically with drug addiction and myself, I, I think you have to take a step back and look at my family. You have to look at, like, the grandparents, um... Uh, my grandfather was a junkie, dope dealer to uh, Bob Dylan and the Mamas and the Papas uh, uh, and, you know, like Peter, Paul and Mary and all that 60s kind of Greenwich Village uh, dope scene. He was the supplier. Um, oh, and, my goodness. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting that. We weren't <laughs> expecting a, Oh, my goodness, Brandon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he was. Uh, and, and listen, listen. 
the information I'm going to give you about my grandfather uh, has been told to me because I was never allowed to meet him because of the guy he was. Okay. Uh, I never met him. I never met him. Um, I was not allowed to meet him. Uh, so uh, drugs and alcohol, you know, I was born in 79, but we're talking about the 60s. So he's a dope dealer to, you know, uh, Dylan and Peter Paul and Mary and the Greenwich Village seat, and he... Uh, you know, had a couple kids, and um, both kids were addicts and alcoholics as well. Now, my father was introduced to heroin at a young age because my grandfather shot him up for the first time when he was 14. And my dad then, you know, went on to um, have his own struggle with addiction. And my dad, my dad died of a heroin overdose when I was, when I just had turned four years old. Oh, my goodness. So, How old was um, he? He was 27. He was that legendary 27, the rock and roll 27. And his dad gave him his first intravenous heroin at age 14. Correct. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, and so my, oh, I only really have one memory of my father. And it's probably about a month or so before he died, and he's on a beanbag chair, and he's, he's really sick. And only after the fact uh, am I, you know, I realized that he was dope sick. But um, he's very sick on a beanbag chair, and I'm trying to cheer him up. And I've got a little Superman action figure, and I'm flying the thing, you know, around and trying to entertain him. And he's so sick that he, you know, he, he's not really given me the sort of uh, reaction I would like. And because he's, you know, going through heroin withdrawals. I don't know this at the time, and I'm kind of bummed out. And I'm like, Dad, you're sick. What's the matter? And, you know, he, how do you explain it to a three-year-old at the time? Right. And he dies a couple months later. Um, and, and so, you know, that's the only memory I have of my father. But in that memory, you can figure out a whole lot of stuff about what's going to happen down the line. I did, wasn't getting attention from my father. He's dope sick, not available. I'm trying to entertain him. And what happens, you know, is later on in life, I become an entertainer because... I I want people's attention, and I'm putting on a show for people. And some of that's really good when I'm on stage because I'm a very good entertainer. And when I get off stage, I don't know how to turn that off and just uh, um, shift into self-care. I just know how to keep entertaining people and keep trying to get uh, reactions and your adoration and everything like that. And so... Where does drugs and alcohol start for me? Uh, you know, it started way before me, and it will continue um, after me. I have a son now, and, and I've been able to break the chain, but, you know, who knows what, 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 what struggles he's going to have and all that stuff. You know, what, where does his story with drugs and alcohol start or begin is the same kind of nebulous place where my story with it began. Um, you know, the cards were kind of stacked against me. Um, and that's the hand I was dealt. And I can tell you, though, that I, having had a father who passed when I was younger, it, 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 uh, um, here's what it did. It left a really big hole in my soul, uh, and where's dad? And my mom, you know, did the best she could, but, she, you know, she had to take on the role of my mom and my dad, and, you know, that's, that's an impossible job. Uh, but the, the other thing that it did is when, when my dad died so young, uh, it spared me from seeing the effects of having an alcoholic parent. Mm. So I have a lot of friends that had alcoholic parents and drug addict junkie parents 
And it was awful. Right. I mean, it was awful for them. I didn't have that because he died. So, you know, there's the good and the, the bad of, of the story already. You know, yeah. I was spared a lot of crap because he died. Mm-hmm. I was also uh, left with a lot of questions. When you tell a four-year-old your dad died of a heroin overdose, I mean, you might as well have just told them that, you know, they went to Hawaii. What the hell do you know at four years old? Right. You know? So uh, there was a sort of fascination there of me trying to figure it out on my own. Okay, so Brandon, when did you specifically start experimenting with alcohol and drugs? I didn't start experimenting with drugs and alcohol until I was probably 20 years old. And I, and I can say that, like, I reached out to other things alcoholically, but I didn't specifically use drugs and alcohol. And I, and I can tell you I was a suicidal teenager um, before I found drugs and alcohol. Um, I engaged in self-harm. And I, I was a cutter, as they, they say. Um, when, when I was a teenager, uh, there was abuse in my house and, um, people didn't stand up for me. I felt like crap. I wanted to, I wanted to end life, but you know, um, I also wanted revenge for the people who were hurting me. I wanted to hurt them back by hurting myself. And so later on in life, which is, you know, I never used drugs and alcohol in high school. I already knew there was something up with my family. There was something up with my thinking. Uh, But when I switched over to use drugs and alcohol, it didn't feel like much of a decision or much of a change because I was already used to kind of the abuse in my house. So I just kind of transferred over that abuse into drugs and alcohol. That's just my story. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got started probably around twenty, and I did not use in in high school, or uh, or the first two years of college. And um, you know, it, 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 I think I'm an alcoholic. I know I'm an alcoholic, so I wasn't trying to enhance the way I felt. I was kind of trying to really completely change the way I felt. And for me personally, you know, because I had already had self-harm, I was already a suicidal teenager, I had, you know, um, some issues I was dealing with that um, when I started using drugs and alcohol, instantly what it felt like was I found the mute button to the universe. Like I found the mute button to the negative voice in my head that made me feel like I was different, that I wasn't, I didn't fit in, that I wasn't cool enough, that I wasn't whatever, that internal dialogue where I wasn't enough. It felt like when I got drunk and when I started getting loaded for the first couple times, I found the mute button on that voice. And, you know, I was like, oh my God, like you can shut that off. <laughs> like, that's amazing. You like, I can shut that voice off. Um, and, um, you know, I, drugs and alcohol took me to some really dark places. Very, very dangerous. You know, it killed a lot of momentum. It killed my music career to a certain degree. You know, it really, really, you know, scared my mom and, and all that stuff. But at the same time, like, I have to thank drugs and alcohol for doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I literally didn't know you could shut off that negative voice Hmm. until I started getting loaded. Wow. Um, And so I was, that, that was very attractive to me. And then it became my number one priority to shut that voice off all the time, every day. And it was off to the races. And I was one of those people that, waited a really long time to get drunk and loaded and everybody wanted to use with me I'd started to become you know in a successful band and I was you know I was surrounded by a lot of people who were trying to you know influence me to party and then once I did and started partaking in it 
uh, within three weeks, people were like, we can't party with you. I mean, I literally go from zero to psycho in 2.2 milliseconds. Wow. So um, it's like, you know, there's, there's a fire inside of me that's, that's burning and it's just looking for, you know, um, it's looking for some sort of way to, to, to travel outside of me. And as soon as I started using drugs and alcohol, instantly, instantly, it was crazy. Instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I know other people's stories are not like that, but mine is. Like, within three weeks, the people I was partying with, like, we can't party with you. And they were the, one, they were the ones trying to influence me beforehand. And then they were like, you're the bad influence now. Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, Brandon, when you said that it, like, killed your music career, and, like, how? Like, what does that mean? How did it do that? Well, I, I mean, okay, so I started a band called Kill Radio that eventually went on to, to sign with Columbia Records. It was a multi-million dollar record deal. Um, we had the same uh, team as Rage Against the Machine and System of a Down and Household Names and we were a great band. We were a great band with great songs and a great team and, and a pretty good marketing, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, marketing plan. It was the right time to be political. Um, and, uh, what happened is, um, I, I had a real genuine interest to make music, but I had a genuine social responsibility for myself to make kind of politically social conscious music similar to the clash rage against the machine like that. That's what really interested me. But in order to do that, you have to hold yourself accountable and, um, being in a band is hard. And I was the quarterback of the band and, you know, somebody's got to help the band, uh, drive down the field so that you can maintain the objective of um, uh, making great music, connecting with people, and growing your fan base so that you can um, uh, make a sustainable living and everybody's not grumpy. Right. And I start using drugs and alcohol, and like I said, I went from zero to psycho. So if you need me at a meeting at 11 o'clock, because we need to come up with a game plan. I'm not going to show up until three o'clock. Um, if after the show, I need to, you know, uh, uh, hang out with people and, and meet the other bands and meet the fans and say thank you and show appreciation and gratitude for everybody coming out to see our musical performance. I'm not there. I'm running off into the night to tr- try and find a dealer who will get me some drugs in a town I've never been in. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody's supporting that decision. So I have to go do it myself and I'm not famous. So it's not like I have handlers or anybody, you know, I can't say, uh, Hey James, just go procure some, uh, narcotics for me tonight, please. I have to do it myself. <laughs> and so I'm not where I need to be. Right. I'm not where I need to be. And, um, eventually you let people down. I stole from my band. I stole from the, the collective kitty, if you will, the music, the money that we were making. I'm stealing from that to pay for my drug habit. Um, I lose the record contract. I lose the manager. I lose the booking agent and I lose the respect and love of my friends and my family and my bandmates. Nobody wants to hang out with me. You know, uh, being a musical genius, let's just, let's just, I, you know, if I'm a musical genius, even being around a musical genius who's an asshole, the, 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 um, the genius, uh, is going to wear off, right. you know, the, or the, 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 the joy and creativity and the spark you feel being around a genius is going to, is going to wear off if they're an asshole. Right. And, and that's what happened. So that's how I ruined my, my record career. Uh, that's how I ruined my, my music career with drugs and alcohol. Wow. So what made you decide finally to get clean and sober? <laughs> 
Um, what? What? Okay, so there was there was a moment where God. Um, there was a moment where I was walking down the street, and I realized the position I was in had nothing to do with anybody else's decisions in life other than my own. And I was, I, 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 I had just come out of a cocaine psychosis where I was living in a bush and I was fully convinced that the old lady who was walking her dog was working for the CIA. And I was so paranoid, I jumped out of the bush that I was, that I was in, and I grabbed her by her little knitted sweater while her little dog was biting my ankles, and I shook her, and I asked her who she was working for. And I was convinced that she was reporting my whereabouts to somebody um, as I was in a psychosis. Um, that's a week before I got clean and sober. Wow. Um, so I was very low. Um, I can tell you, you know... Um, being an intravenous drug user, uh, it put me in some very dangerous uh, places. Um, you know, I've literally pulled uh, needles out of the, the gutter and used them because I needed it. And I didn't care if it was going to kill me or if somebody who had used it before me had, a, had a, you know, a disease that I was going to be contracting. I didn't really care. I just, I really wanted to die. But I was too chicken shit to take my life. So I just went on this death trip and um, I was given, you know, a brief moment of, uh, uh, I-, I was given an opportunity by a place called Tarzana Treatment Center, which is a county run facility um, to uh, detox off of uh, narcotics. And I needed uh I needed like a hundred dollars to make it happen. And my grandmother said, uh, she would loan me the hundred dollars because nobody else would loan me any money anymore. I mean, I'd been homeless for a while and I had used up all of the, uh, the trust credit, if you will. And she loaned me a hundred dollars and I kept myself into a place called Tarzana treatment center. And I stayed there and I went to another counseling facility and stayed there for four months, and my sobriety date is 10 so if you do the math, that's a little over 11 years ago, and I've been clean and sober since. That's awesome. Um, and it was just, um, you know, I can tell you it was very hard in the beginning because, uh, you know, I like getting drunk and high, and I know there was a lot of consequences with it, but I continue to do it because I like the effect, and I didn't want to deal with all the other stuff. But um, I can tell you a very this is um, this is good stuff for a podcast. Um, my dad, the way he died is he was in a treatment center and left with some people he was in a treatment center with, and he went to go get um, some drugs from a city called Oxnard. And, um, while they were doing, and sh- while he was shooting up in the back of a car, he overdosed coming back from Oxnard and, um, the people he was with decided to not take him to a hospital and instead, um, they, uh, you know, dumped him in a lawn and he died in a lawn wow. on the street. And that's the way he was left. Wow. So my dad died and when I was in treatment I had about a week or two of sobriety and there was a there was a kid there who was telling me listen we can get out of here and I've got a dealer and we can he he'll front us the drugs and we won't catch too much of a habit but you got to leave this place with me right now and we have to drive up to Oxnard. And when I heard the word Oxnard, which is, you know, where my dad had left treatment to go to, I was like, it was very obvious that like, oh my God, like this is a sign, you know? And 
I decided to um, get on the pay phone that they have at the treatment center I was at and, and make a phone call to a family member and let them know what I was thinking about doing. I was thinking about leaving. And I was, as I was on that pay phone, I was looking down and they have the address where you're at. And the treatment center that I was on was on a street called Oxnard Street. Oh. And it became very apparent to me that the road was splitting into two and that I could follow my father's footsteps and I know where that led. Right. And I know that that was a dark end or I could just make my own story and stay on my own Oxnard and um, see how that was going to go. And so I, I just had one of those moments where I was like, I just, I, I have to, I have to live my own life. I have to live my own life. I can't go down his, his I can't, I can't live his life, Wow. you know? And, um, that was a real, um, some people can call it a coincidence. Some people call it a God shot. It was definitely a moment that was strong enough that, um, I took notice that there might be something out there looking, looking out for me. Wow. And I, 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 I leaned into that and I've been continuing to lean into that. And there's been many, uh, you know, different instances where, you know, I just realized, oh, wow, I have an opportunity. I literally have a choice to do it uh, a way I don't understand, but that will be my own, or I can do it somebody else's way, and I've seen how that goes, and it's not pretty. Right. And um, so I, I just, you know, continue to try and make the, the right choices at the right time. And, and sobriety is a choose-your-own-adventure, you know? Exactly. Just a reminder, you're listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you'd like more information on us, we have a Facebook page by the same name. Also, we have an email now, which is our acronym, T A P P O N R. 2017 at gmail.com. That's T like Tom, A like Apple, P like Peter, P like Peter, O like Oscar, N like Nancy, R like Robert, 2017 at gmail.com. If you'd like further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. Yeah, uh, the choose your own adventure. I like that analogy because it is because each day you're faced with choices. And I always tell, you know, myself and the the guys and girls I work with over at Narconon, it's like we're all, no matter how long you've been clean, you're one bad decision away from being back to where you started every day. Exactly. So you have to kind of keep yourself exactly. in check yeah, that way. But no, no, keep going, man. I was gonna say that it's a way to keep you know keep yourself in check every day because if you think about it, we're all just like one bad decision about from going back to that lifestyle. And something that struck me while you were talking, and you being you know someone from a well-known band and working with well-known bands, and it sounds like you're in the scene like the late '90s, early 2000s, right? Yeah, it was 2004. Yeah, and you know that's around the time I was going through my addiction as well. And um, it's interesting because there's this conception of of the musician, like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's a glamorous lifestyle, and you just have all this money and all these girls and all these drugs, and you do your shows, and everyone loves you, and it's all this stuff. And that's like a really strong misconception of actually what the artists do go through, I believe. What do you think of that? Um, well, there, there's, there's so many different... Listen, I could just tell, I, I, I could just say for myself, listen, when I, in sobriety, in sobriety, I prepared for certain performances and I knew that there were some certain things I wanted to do as an artist. And when I was on stage, I achieved them. Like there's a part of the song where you're like, oh man, sometimes when I sing it, it's not that good. Sometimes when I sing it, it's amazing. I really like want these certain checkpoints throughout my set to be able to check in and see how I'm doing. And I've nailed it. And I'm playing to about 20 people and I get off stage and I feel so good about myself. I feel so good about myself. 
I have played shows where I've gone off stage and I've just played in front of 10,000 people. And all I'm thinking about is who's, who backstage has drugs? Right. Because, um, I mean, now what? And yep. now what? I, I want to play in front of thousands of people. I just played in front of thousands of people, but yeah, yeah, but now what? Right. And it really doesn't matter what it is. I mean, the rock star who just got off stage or the hedge fund guy who just bought his Maserati. We both wake up tomorrow and we're like, and now what? Right. Somebody has a nicer Maserati. Well, somebody's in a bigger band. Right. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's when, when I can't get current and I can't have moments of appreciation throughout the day, it doesn't matter how big my band is. It doesn't matter how many drugs there are. It doesn't matter how much attention I'm getting from the fans. I'm always going to want more. And it's a rabbit hole I can fall down into, and there's just never, ever going to be enough. And it's the same thing in sobriety with, with service dealing. Listen, I, 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 am, I am fluent in this language. It's called victimese. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> I, I totally get that. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I, am, I, am, I am fluent in this language. And when I feel like a victim... Guys, everybody who's done me wrong and everybody who misunderstood me or who, you know, all the haters and everybody who's, who's, who's lied to me, if they put on a parade and they, 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 they made signs and it was Brandon's pity party parade, if they did that parade and they let me sit there and watch them go by and they had signs that said, we understand that we didn't understand. We're so sorry. I guarantee it. The next week I would tell all of you that the parade wasn't big enough because it is never enough when I'm trying to fill um, uh, an insecurity right. on my inside with something from the outside. It never you know? works. Yep. And so, so when ten thousand people are chanting and cheering for me, it never filled the hole of my dad left me and died really young, and maybe he didn't love me wow. until I got out a pen and a paper and wrote a letter to him, and then I figured out some of the inventory process of of what we do um, in recovery. Uh, the crowd never filled that hole because what I wanted is I just wanted to feel loved. Right. And I wanted to feel loved from my father. And I wanted to feel loved from the other people who had hurt me. And no, and, I, and listen, I love having fans. I, I was never famous. I was in a popular band. And I have enough fan responses and, and emails and mail that I get. Um, that I really appreciate that my my work and my artistry has touched them and helped them, um, and and that makes me feel good. But that doesn't make me feel complete. I don't need the I don't need their admiration to know that I'm okay. Right. I needed it in the, in the past. Mm-hmm. I thought I needed it, and I thought it was going to complete me. And all it did is create another addiction. <laughs> which couldn't be satisfied as well. Right. And so I don't have the music career I used to have. I, I you know, my band Kill Radio has since, um, we took a nine-year break, and we reunited two years ago, and we just finished an album, and it's going to be released this year. Oh, wow. And That's I awesome. have That's really no cool. clue what's going to happen. I, I have no clue if it's going to make a big splash I just know for me personally, we got together and, you know, we're a political punk rock band, so it had to have a certain level of attitude right? Oh, yeah. to hold the um, standard of what our band was, because we kicked ass. Right. You know what I mean? When you're used to kicking ass <laughs> and, and get back together and you're a decade older, um, 
it's going to take a second to get the engine revving the same way and to kick out. Yeah, reco- recovery <laughs> time becomes a little bit longer. You can't do lullabies. <laughs> you got to kick some more ass. You got to kick some more ass. But at the same time, you have to be able to honor the growth that you've had as people. Okay? Right. So my bass player has become a father. I've become a father. My, my drummer has become a father. My... Um, my guitarist has gone into, you know, documentaries and is a filmmaker and just involved with lots of inspirational work. And so we had to honor the growth that we've put in as men and yet still kick ass. Right. You know? And so <laughs> it can't be patting ourselves on the back, but but at the same time we had to, you know, honor those two things, the growth and yet the, the legacy of the band. And I'm telling you, we get it. We absolutely awesome. did it. It kicks ass. It maybe kicks more ass than it did back in the day. Wow. When it was drug fueled. So because it's it's powerful. It's very very powerful music, and it and it and it's positive, and it and it shows it's dynamic. It shows the growth we've had as people. We're not just sitting there telling people the government screwed up. Um, we're kind of holding ourselves a little bit more accountable because we, we've grown up and realized, hey, listen, we were we were upset at a system for not doing what we couldn't do for ourselves as, as well. You know, like like we were pointing all the fingers at everybody else, and at the same time, you know, we couldn't control ourselves. So we're holding ourselves accountable while still making really kick-ass music, and I'm really excited because we did it. We, we set out for a standard, and we, we reached it, and we hit it. Now, what's going to happen with when the music is released, or, who, or what record label is going to release it? I'm not sure yet right now. Um, I hope it gets into as many homes and eardrums as possible, because it's great music and it's inspirational. But I don't really like... That is not my motivation for doing it right. anymore. right. And so when I don't need your approval to know that I'm in my favorite band, then I can just be in my favorite band. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. It's that, really simple. I love it. That's awesome. Okay, so the band is Kill Radio. What's the name of the new album? The name of the new album is Enlightenment. Enlightenment. Nice. And when will it be released? Uh, I don't know yet. I okay. don't know yet. The the album artwork is done, and the um, uh, and the, the 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 music is ninety five percent done. We just we're just finishing it up right now, so it's going to be really it's going to be released in two thousand nineteen, probably in the summer. Okay, and will people be able to find some of the songs like on YouTube? No, iTunes. iTunes. Probably. Okay. iTunes and Spotify and the okay. web and yeah. So if you, if people want to, they can look up um, Kill Radio, the band, and uh, the Instagram is at Kill Radio underscore official, or you know look us up on Facebook. You know, um, Kill Radio we underscore. Definitely were out there. I missed that because you faded out. Kill Radio underscore what? Uh, the Instagram is at Kill Radio underscore official. Official. Okay, perfect. So can I can I redirect you just a little bit now to Rock to Recovery? Can you tell me a little bit about what you do with Rock to Recovery and maybe some of the, you know, some of the successes that you've had or some of the wins that you've had? Absolutely. How did you find Rock to Recovery? How did you get connected up with them? Taking a sip of water. Um. I have been a group facilitator for Rock to Recovery. I'm now in my fifth year. And um, uh, a mutual friend, uh, Sonny Mayo, uh, introduced me to his friend in West Year, uh-huh. who started Rock to Recovery, I want to think, you know, six years ago. Yeah, Wes was and, on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Right, right, yeah. So, so... So some of the listeners know Wes's story. So Wes comes from a band background, and Wes is in sobriety and in recovery, and he started Rock to Recovery, and when they needed somebody in Los Angeles, my name came up for the job because um, I am uh, sober. I write a lot of different styles 
of music. I mean, I, I've, I've primarily talked about Kill Radio, but people don't know that I ran a hip-hop studio for four years, and I, I've i done pretty much every genre of music. And so when it came time for a, um, a candidate for Rock to Recover, my name came up. I met with Wes. I trained for Rock to Recovery, and I started it in the late part of 2014. And since then, I've probably written uh, over 3,000 songs with Mm. addicts, alcoholics, um, veterans, at-risk teens, in mental health facilities. I probably, I do, I I service about 22 sessions a week, and I probably work with 250 people a week um, uh, right now, currently. Uh, each week, I probably write 18 songs. Wow. Uh, I form 18 bands with different uh, conglomerations of veterans and teenagers and addicts and alcoholics. Wow. And uh, it's amazing to see... You know, I've been a musician my whole life, so I've always had the the joy of playing music in my life. And a lot of people think, oh, well, you can only have the joy of playing music in your life if you're a musician. And Rock to Recovery kind of cuts through that um, misconception. And that there not everybody I work with is going to be the world's greatest musician, but that we can, we can still feel the beat and feel playing music on a very basic level with some instruction. That's our job to instruct you on what you can bring to this composition or this song or this dance that will a make you feel a part of the will we'll put an instrument in your hand and teach you how to play a part that will then give you the joy that only comes through playing uh, an instrument and being a musician. And to have that joy in my life and then to transfer that to other people who never thought they would experience it, it's wow. like, it's amazing. It's like, you know, hey, I've been an astronaut my whole life. Uh, let me take you to space for the next hour. Oh my goodness! Wow! And they're like, they're like, I never thought I could do that. I've always wanted to do that my whole life. I always thought I needed to be X, Y, and Z. I always thought there was a barrier between me and the experience you just gave me. Wow! That's amazing. Wow! You know? That's that's uh, that's awe inspiring. That's that's so cool. I, wow. That's that's yeah. That's really awesome. And the fact that you work with veterans is so near and dear to my heart. My dad was a veteran of World War II and the Korean War. My brother was a veteran of Vietnam. And, you know, these veterans are, you know, some of the most worthy people we have in this country. And the fact that you work with them and help them with music is just so near and dear to my heart. That's awesome. I know. It's really, it really just, awesome. I, I just love it. So, listen, if I come to Los Angeles... Can I come to one of your sessions and and experience you what this is like? I'm so I mean this is so inspiring what you're doing. I'm glad you're inspired by it. Well, it, I I'm going to make an assumption that you like music. Uh, I'm a singer. <laughs> yes, I am a singer. I've been singing since I was 4 years old and nobody looked at me and said, "Please don't sing anymore." They all said, "Oh, aren't you just the cutest thing ever?" And so I still sing, and I'm not four years go. old anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, the, the answer to your question is yes. Um, uh, you know, most places that we go to have um, uh, uh, HIPAA, HIPAA rules where, you know, we can't have everybody it, or anybody just, like, kind of show up. I know. But on Thursday nights, I mean, because I have a schedule Thursday nights, Every single Thursday night, I play music um, with veterans at the VA hospital in Brentwood, uh, California, which is one of the nicer uh, VA hospitals uh, for vet services in our country. Wow. I mean, people from all over the country specifically go to that VA hospital because our vet services in California are top-notch. 
Wow. And I just have to throw that out there. When it comes to taking care of veterans, the Brentwood facility in Los Angeles takes care of the vets in such an amazing way. And they allowed us to come in about three years ago and start um, working with the veterans and doing rock recovery. And since then, I want to say I've been working with the same guys for almost three years um, that I've seen men have gone from living in the bushes, right? Which, which I, I'm a bush lover. Yeah. I like to live in the bush and grab old ladies. <laughs> um, I've seen guys living in the bush uh, 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 and then and checked into the, the VA and in, in the dormitory, done our session, and now they have they have custody of their kids because they've stayed clean and sober. Wow. Um, and it's not like Rocks Recovery can take all that credit, but it's been a part of their recovery, and they say it's been instrumental to teach them that they can have fun and, and create music and get stuff off their get stuff off their chest in a yeah. safe way, you know? Yep, and um, we've probably written uh, over 150 songs at that one particular VA hospital. Wow! Um, and those guys have gone on to do their own public performances, and uh, the name of their band is Finally Living because that's what they feel. They feel like they're finally breathing, they're finally living, they're finally walking on their own two feet. Wow! Uh, with each other's help, and so yeah, you can definitely drop in any Thursday night. Um, when you are in Los Angeles and hang out with us and write a song, and you're not going to be observing. I know. Um, I'll help. We'll, I promise. We'll, we'll have you singing. We'll have you playing <laughs> something because there ain't no observe to recover. It's called rock to recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brandon, thank you so much for talking to us today. Your story is amazing. And I just and so inspiring. And every time we get to hear a story like yours, I know it's going to resonate with people. I know people are going to listen to your story and say, wow, you know, if this guy can get clean and sober, I can too. And that's, you know, really the whole point of our podcast is to get people to listen. If they know somebody that's an addict, get them into treatment. Or if actual addicts are listening, you know, they get themselves into treatment. So Thank you so much. Jason has one more word before and, we sign off. And if you ever find yourself out in uh, the Florida area, I, I'd like to meet you, get you over to Narcanon, see what we do, and you know, see other ways of getting clean. I love it. I love it. Please, please. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, uh, I, like I said, I do have family out there, so there's a good possibility I would be on that side of Florida. That'd be awesome. If you come to Seminole, you're coming to Clearwater. Oh, yeah. There's absolutely. no question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll, I'll be at, what is it, the Piggly Wiggly? What do you guys got down there? Look, Piggly Wiggly. The, no, the I don't think we have Piggly store? Wiggly no. anymore. We got Publix. There's no more Piggly Wiggly? I don't think so. <laughs> Cash and oh, carry? Then, then you know yeah. what? I take, it, I take it back. I'm never coming back. Oh. You know uh, what? You guys, we lost them permanently now. You guys get a Piggly Wiggly and I'll be out there. <laughs> <laughs> but we have Frenchies. We have Frenchies fish on the beach. You got to come. What's Frenchies? Well, oh, it's a fish fr- restaurant. Best best fish in in Clearwater. He's but got about six of them. Piggly Wiggly. Are you kidding me? I, 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 was, I just remember as a kid. I'm like, there's a, a store called Piggly Wiggly. Yeah, it's a grocery store. <laughs> yeah, but I don't yeah. think we yeah. have them anymore. Uh-uh. Uh, you know. Now we have Publix oh, and Winn Dixie. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, crush. He's heartbroken. Crush. <laughs> but um, you you have my cell phone now because that's what I texted you from and I have yours and so definitely um, if you come to Florida um, would love to meet up with you that would be great so can you can you do me a couple favors um, uh, one when the podcast is up will you give me email me the proper ways that I can share on all social media platforms absolutely Absolutely. Okay. And then and then if you can, you know, tag me. My personal Instagram is at Brandon Jordan LA. So if you could put that in there so that people could kind of follow up and, and it kinda of adds to the social media traction. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, if you could do that as well as the band is at Kill Radio underscore official. And then I'm sure you already have Rock to Recovery's info. 
Absolutely. Just so people, you know, want to follow follow down the rabbit hole, we can give them the, that opportunity. Perfect. Perfect. We'll absolutely you know, do that. Sometimes people hear, you know, the story and they might live in Los Angeles. They'll reach out to me and we never know what the benefits of doing these, you know, these, these podcasts and these broadcasts will, will be, you know, we just don't know. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Brandon, once again, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Well, that was a pretty amazing story. I wasn't expecting the beginning of that. I wasn't either. I mean, I knew, okay, Brandon was a drug addict and did, you know, abused alcohol and drugs and then got clean and sober. But the fact that he was like born into a family that, you know, it's unbelievable. Wild. And it's also amazing, you know, to see like those little like signs from the universe that you're either making a good decision or a bad decision. Like when he was about to leave treatment and the and whole the thing with Oxnard, was, it was like, yep. oh, sometimes the universe has a way of just like nudging you one way or the other. That's right. Um, you can call it universe, God, whatever it is for you, I guess. But you know, it's, it's really interesting. And to see what he's doing now to just like give back and help addicts and veterans and everyone. It's just so cool to see. Yep. And I loved what he was saying about, what is it? The language of victimization. What, what did Victimese. he call it? Victimese. Victimese. I was like, it's a language oh that victims goodness. speak. And that's a good message. You know, people are listening like, oh, you know, I'm an addict because this or that happened to me. I don't, I, if you have a story worse than this guy's story, I would like you to call and tell me that. Yeah, you know? well, everyone's story is bad in their own regard. Yes. You know, it's like when you're going through addiction, I speak from this personally, you think, oh my God, this is the worst anyone's ever gone through addiction. Yep. But the funny thing is, most of us have thought that at one point, and I'm sure when you know Brand, I mean when Brandon was you know jumping out of a bush and grabbing an old lady, I mean that's he thinks he's the worst addict in the world. Um, when I but was, I don't but I don't mean the addiction, Jason. Sorry to cut you off. I mean the background from which he came. Oh, okay. If someone listening has a grandfather who was worse uh, than you, supplying drugs to celebrities, and a grandfather who injected his own son with heroin at age 14, that's a story I'd like to hear. Yeah. What, and the point I'm trying to make is that. Maybe your background wasn't so good and maybe your parents didn't understand you and maybe even, you know, heaven forbid, you know, you had some abuse in your background. But the point is you can still get clean and sober because if someone like Brandon can get clean and sober, mm -hmm. I think anybody can get clean and sober. Absolutely. I'm just saying. Totally. And, you know, one thing I think that's been great is that people lately have been reaching out wanting to tell their stories on the podcast. Yes. And I want to keep encouraging people to do that. Yes. Because the more of you that we can hear from and the more of you that just tell your story and what you went through and how you got clean, the better, because that only can work to inspire others. Because every story is different, but every story has got a little bit of the same. And er there's going to be a story that's going to resonate with someone, whether it's Angela, the housewife, Brandon and Wes, the rock stars, or just the young guy who started when he was a Boy Scout. Right. You know, it's going to resonate. So we're going to be here again next week, mm -hmm. and we're going to keep talking about this. And everybody have a good week, including you, Jason. You too. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 